Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 28 minutes now to 9 the time. Time for your Mediated Conversation this morning. On Monday evening, President Cyril Ramaphosa said the finance minister Inokorangwana had told the ANC's National Executive Committee that South Africa was not running out of money. But Gorongwana has also said many times we cannot keep spending money in the way that we have been. This has led to fears that government is about to cut back on social services, that it will spend less money on hospitals and schools and other services, with the result that people will lose out on services they literally depend on. At the same time, it is clear that our finances are in trouble. Government is not getting as much money in revenue, partly because the post-pandemic commodities boom is over, while government has simply been spending too much money for too long on, I suppose, uh, too little. So then, how bad is the situation? and Are we headed for a serious financial crisis? Well, there are different views on this, as I'm sure you'd be aware when you speak to a, different, a group of different economists. Well, first this morning, you'll hear from Davi Rutt, the chief economist at the Efficient Group. He believes we are headed for a serious crisis. Then you'll hear from Lumkile Mondi, he's senior lecturer in the School of Economics and Business Science at Wits University. Zimbali Mgube is at the Institute for Economic Justice, Tax and Budget, and she's a policy researcher and uh, and author at the Institute for Economic Justice and Policy. Uh, we'll be talking to her about the impact of the cutbacks on spending on South Africans. And then finally, the economist and managing director at ESG Analytics, Afiso Skenjana. We start then with, with uh, Davi Rutt, the chief economist at the Efficient Group. He's on a plane at the moment, but this is how he understands the situation that is facing us at the moment. South Africa has been in financial troubles before, and we've been running huge fiscal deficits before, and things have been going tough in South Africa before. The economy has been under a lot of pressure before as well. But this time around, things are really, really different. I'm getting very concerned about that. It starts with the fiscal accounts, the accounts that the Minister of Finance is responsible for. And the debt levels of the national government has reached record high levels. It's currently standing at about 73% of GDP, and early next year it's going to be at about 75% of GDP, and soon it will surpass 80% of GDP. So the state owes a lot of money, and more of that money is being owed to the banks. But that's not all of the story. I'm also very, very concerned about the state-owned enterprises. We know about ESCOM, but just about all the state-owned enterprises have been run into the ground financially and operationally. And most of that debt is also guaranteed by the Minister of Finance. So actually that debt needs to be included in the debt of the Minister of Finance. And if you do that, then you will find that the total outstanding debt is probably in the region of about 85% to GDP already. And still that's not the end of the story. The national, the, the local authorities are financially, most of them, more than 70% of the local authorities are financially in very, very deep trouble. And eventually that debt will also end up with the Minister of Finance. In fact, he did mention that if they do A, B, and C, he will take over some of the debt that they owe to ESCOM. And the total outstanding debt of the local authorities to ESCOM is currently approximately 70 billion rand. So much of that will be transferred to the Minister of Finance as well. And still that's not the end of the story. The, the current year's fiscal deficit is going to be significantly bigger than what the Minister of Finance expected. And the reason, reason for that has to do uh, with the revenue that is under a lot of pressure. And the reasons for that has to do with the weak commodity cycle. And of course, uh, the trains are not running and uh, we, we don't have electricity to get the stuff out of the ground and the harvest are not working properly. So revenue is under tremendous pro- pro- uh, pressure also because of a weak economy. 
Darby Ruth there, Chief Economist at the Efficient Group. Part of his contribution to this conversation, how he understands our fiscal position. 24 minutes now uh, to nine the time. Lumkile Mondi is a Senior Lecturer at the School of Economics and Business Science at Wits University. Lumkile, good morning and thank you so much for your time. Good morning, Stephen, and to SAFM listeners. We've Thanks heard, for having me. We've heard uh, one interpretation of the numbers. How bad would you say government's financial position is at the moment? Uh, I think, I mean, I'm aligned in terms of the analysis with the realities that uh, Ruth has painted. Uh, and hence, I'm not surprised that Minister Kudungwane has been encouraging uh, his colleagues uh, to cut some spending, given the dire position that we find ourselves in. Do you expect it to get worse? If we do nothing, we'll be in more debt this time next year and more debt the year after that. Absolutely. Remember that, uh, as Davi was highlighting, that with falling and failing infrastructure, our economy is shrinking uh, drastically. Uh, so basically, the only source uh, of additional revenue is going to be individuals, uh, meaning that the wealthy could be the one that are targeted for for higher taxation. And we know many of the wealthy don't keep their money in their own personal um, uh, name. They all use uh, companies or trust, uh, which complicates the whole notion of wealth tax. So really the only way where we can be able uh, to to determine our fiscal position is through cutting expenditure because that we can control. However, in doing so, Stephen, it's quite important that as you cut expenditure, uh, we protect the incomes of the poor. So we need to find a way as to, in cutting expenditure, how we can ensure that we protect the poor through universal basic income grant. So I think that's where in next week, when the mini, or the following week, on the 1st of November, when he presents the medium-term budget policy statement, I think he's going to talk to that uh, and, and, and highlight the importance of protecting those vulnerable in, in the event of spending cuts and really a struggling economy. When we talk about a financial crisis, you know, what are we talking about? Are we talking about no money to pay government workers, for example? Are we talking about, you know, one day social grants aren't paid, not because of a computer problem, but because there's no money? So firstly, Stephen, what you need to understand is that South Africa is greatly dead. Uh, so we have lost quite a number of international institutional investors who are very much a key participant in our domestic capital markets. Uh, but since we've greatly stayed, others cannot hold a sum of our paper. Um, and also, given the higher interest rate environment globally, uh, the the interest arbitrage, uh, which made South Africa a bit also attractive, is no longer as attractive as it used to be, given the, the, the instability in South Africa economically and the dwindling profit performances coming from various companies. Uh, so so therefore, what, what we, where we find ourselves, we find ourselves in a situation whereby we have to look at domestic sources of capital. But even then, uh, uh, there's going to be a huge pushback as far as that is concerned in, in, in a state that seems to be spending without controlling finances because the savers are going to ask, how are you going to pay us when you take our money away from? And that's the crisis that we think may lead to create own crisis. However, as you're going to hear with other colleagues of mine are coming in, there are those that talk, talk to the reality that we're in the economy. So if we spend more from the Reserve Bank, we're spending a rent, we may be able to survive. A much bigger risk, uh, given that South Africa 
uh, is very much uh, dependent uh, on importing some of the uh, of the capital goods that are critical for us to invest in infrastructure and revive our economy. So it's going to be interesting to hear from them how they think that could work. Lumkile, there are some people, and I've heard at least one of them on SAFM in the past, who say that we don't have high levels of debt, um, that we actually have uh, plenty of money to maintain services that they are now, to even increase services. What would you say to that? I, I think it's one of those when you are facing an election and you are, your back is against the wall, you try and promise and talk about possibilities. I think there is no household in South Africa that is not struggling to survive. Uh, so are companies, given the changements that we're seeing, that many of us are in task rates, uh, and in fact, if we're a functioning local government, perhaps that could cushion us. But given that even local level, we're feeling it, we have to fix many things for ourselves as communities. Therefore, I think uh, it's, poli- it's, it's politicking, uh, and you really we need to work very hard uh, to ensure that those that, that talk that language account uh, by bringing them um, to, to account uh, to the votes that we have in the next election. Lom Kilemondi, thank you very much indeed. Senior lecturer in the School of Economics and Business Science at Wits University. You are there, SAFM, 18 minutes now to 9 the time. You mediated a conversation this morning, government's financial position. Will there be big cutbacks? It seems uh, that the Minister of Finance is warning of moderate cutbacks in spending. Zimbali Mube is a uh, tax and budget policy researcher at the Institute for Economic Justice. Zimbali, good morning, and thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Do you believe our levels of government debt are too high? Um, I think we need to contextualize that conversation when we're speaking about debt uh, in comparison to uh, other countries in which we are uh, in, in the same level in terms of economy and, and the structure of our economy. We are, those countries are sitting at 69%. Our level of debt currently stands at 71.4% as uh, compared to the debt-to-GDP ratio. So that's that. But I don't think it's it's too high. The issue, however, I think it's the debt trajectory. And as Lindin has highlighted, the interest that we are paying on this debt. And we think that there are a number of ways to resolve this, uh, not through budget cuts, but through, for instance, taking measures to reduce the cost of borrowing. What do you mean by reducing the cost of borrowing? How would you do that? Isn't the way you do that to pay back the debt? Well, well, first and foremost, you can do that through a number of ways. Um, one of these is, for instance, to, um, in the short term, uh, shift from long-term borrowing, which in the context of South Africa is expensive than short-term and medium-term borrowing, right? Uh, we can also engage in targeted debt uh, renegotiation, for instance, for ESCOM in particular, which we have seen is undergoing a restructuring, um, and there's an opportunity there for the state or for Treasury to enter into renegotiations with some of the creditors uh, at ESCOM to ensure that we are paying uh, this debt at favorable interest rates, um, and also the maturity is, is reduced over the, the long term. But there's also the point of uh, interest rates, which you understand is a bit outside of uh, the Treasury's control. But um, the point here is to state that 
uh, monetary policy in particular can play an important role in ensuring that government bonds um, are at a lower interest rate than they currently are. Do you believe government's in a position where it has to cut services? Is our debt level so high that we must cut services? No. We believe that uh, there are actually other avenues we can use to close this shortfall because we agree that there is a shortfall. And that is, for instance, through um, uh, removing tax breaks for the corporate and for um, those that are earning high income. So, for instance, if you look at those that are earning above 750 billion, which is just 2.9% of the population, if you remove uh, medical tax rebates um, and it's determined fund assets rebates, you can raise about 83 billion, right? And that can be used towards channeling, uh, um, expanding uh, social services, but also some of our infrastructure needs. We believe that uh, in the current context of high unemployment, poverty, and inequality, simply resorting to budget cuts will actually worsen uh, the debt-to-GDP ratio and uh, the, the current socioeconomic is facing. If there are cuts to services, what will happen to people? I mean, if there are cuts to education or hospitals, what happens? Well, I, it, in the current moment, already, for instance, learners, uh, about 83 learners, are being taught by one teacher. Nurses are also overwhelmed, attending to the needs of a growing population uh, whereby they, 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 their headcount is reducing. In fact, they are, they are vacant posts. In Eastern Cape, the number of ambulances um, are, are not sufficient for the, for, the, for the population that is there. And so these services are going to be uh, deteriorating even more further, you know, and this affects the obligation that the state has to ensure that we protect um, the rights of, of the majority in our country. Do we need to be aware of something else? So if we don't act now, the debt will still have to be paid. And I, I realize we need to deal with the inequality that we have in our society. It's one of the most important things we need to do. But are we also not at risk through debt of creating an inequality between the generations? So we're we not at risk of becoming like parents who put the family or the nation in debt and force our children to live a poorer life because of the debt that we have racked up or the debt we haven't paid back. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important that uh, that situation is ameliorated before we even get to that point. And what we are saying is that fiscal policy has an important role to play in that, right? Um, and we agree broadly that the path that we are heading for is, is unsustainable. You know, whether you look at um, the impact it will have in the future or the impact that, uh, for instance, the payment will have on expenditure, uh, on social and key priorities, such as the ones that we're speaking about. And we're saying that this situation should highlight the need of actually reforming the fiscal framework and addressing currently the, the ills that we are facing, but also sure. putting in forward a credible growth strategy, which is currently missing at the moment. Sure, I'm going to come to that with my next guest. I mean, you talk about fiscal policy, but I mean, that, you need to spend less, don't we, as a country? We need to spend uh, in a more targeted way better. We can try and get more money out of the rich, and that's fine, but we also need to spend less, don't we? 
I I agree with your your last point in terms of actually targeting our spending. Um, there is scope to do that and ensure that in the areas where there is, for instance, corruption and mismanagement, that is dealt with. But I wouldn't say we necessarily need to spend less in the context where there is a growing uh, population and a need uh, for the services that uh, the government provides. Zimbali and Mubet, thank you very much indeed at the economic at the Institute of Economic Justice, a tax and budget policy uh, researcher there. Eleven minutes now to nine in a moment. The Economist, uh, Safisos Kanjana. Mediated conversation on SAFM. Ten minutes to nine. Continue your mediated conversation this morning around government's financial position. Uh, Safisos Kanjana is an economist and MD at ESG Analytics. Safiso, good morning and thanks for your time. Morning, Stephen. What options are open to the finance minister? What can the National Treasury really do? <laughs> it is a tough space, Stephen. Um, I think looking at also what's just happened in terms of how much we continue paying uh, from servicing debt. Um, if you look roughly about two and a half years ago, Stephen, we were pay- paying about 12 rand 20 to, for every one rand of revenue we're collecting to servicing debt. That number's gone to about 12 cents, rather. Uh, that number's gone to about 23 cents at this point in time, Stephen. For every round of revenue we are collecting, we are paying to servicing debt. And I think that's really, I think, going to be the area of contention in terms of really, I think, trying to optimize our sources of revenue to ensure that we continue growing as a country. I mean, that's unsustainable. I mean, and this is the position many households are in. You're literally, all of your income, uh, you know, the moment you get paid, you hear the SMS is going off to pay your debts, and that's the end of the money for the month. Sure, 100%. And I mean, I think if you look at all the uh, indicators that just uh, talking about, you know, the, the household context from an earnings point of view, from a sustainability point of view, um, we have seen as well a shift in the labor market in terms of uh, people moving, uh, companies moving people away from full-time employment into part-time employment. And that's already, I think, giving you a sense around the hesitation from an investment point of view that we are seeing from businesses. Um, at least SARS has been, I think, a little bit better in terms of the investment they've made into revenue collection. And so that uh, remains robust. And I think we're quite excited to start to see uh, recovery in a lot of the things that were broken in that particular institution. But I think broadly, if you're talking about household uh, health in South Africa, um, none of the indicators, I think, are are showing uh, positive signs for us to really, I think, have a sense that we're going to see a resilient household uh, context in South Africa. I mean, if there is a plan to to cut back on services, there'll be political pushback to that. And Saviso, do I need to remind you there's an election next year? No, I mean, I think, Stephen, uh, I I have long held that we can spend ourselves into growth. Um, and uh, and if you look at National Treasury's policy, it is that they are counter-cyclical in essence is that when you have a declining economic context, you, you continue spending. There's enough literature also, Stephen, that shows that if you cut spending when your economy is already in the doldrums, it actually results in more long-term economic decline. And so it's not necessarily a smart idea, I think, to cut spending uh, before we even 
get into the political context, I think it is about, and I think our colleagues have said earlier in the morning, around optimizing the spending and, and really being quite clear around our budget appropriation and the impact lens. Some of the conversations we had with the guys in legislature was exactly around that, Stephen, where a lot of the things that we do when we think about budget appropriation is mostly grounded, it's, it's metrics grounded on kind of uh, certain things. I'll just use an example. We'll say if a, a, an area has got 10,000 people, we will then have to build a school, they have to build a hospital. But then if you ask them the question and say, if you've got one rand, how do you decide between building a school or a hospital? And the answer doesn't come out because we haven't put the impact lens or an impact quotient in our budget appropriation. And so I think those are some of the things that really I think National Treasury needs to looking at now so that we can optimize where we spend with a view of where we think we're going to have a, a bigger impact for everyone around spent. Safiso, I mean, people talk about a crisis and all the rest. This has been a long time in the making. I mean, I remember, wait for it, Pravin Gordon, the first time he was finance minister warning about this. <laughs> no, uh, Stephen, uh, uh, we have been in decline for some time. We have been in a stagflationary, uh, I guess, economic context, stagnant growth and, 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 and high inflation. And and uh, and I think it's just getting worse, particularly, I think, for, for the poor uh, households. Um, I've long held that even our inflation print does not reflect the real feel of inflation at uh, an ordinary household level uh, when you look at, in, in essence, uh, how much of the income goes uh, to transport, how much of the income goes uh, to food. Uh, the basket is not reflective of how households um, are exposed to inflation. And so oftentimes we, we talk about a declining inflationary context, but the parts that impact the poor households the most, which is administered prices, that's in double digits, food inflation that's in double digit transport costs that's in double digits and so definitely inflation is not seven percent for the ordinary household and so when you're thinking about all those things Stephen, uh and and then you look at the at the the quality of our institutions and the decline there uh 83 of our municipalities are, are broke in essence they're you know financially defunct um and therefore again uh, challenge continues there infrastructure backlog um in Gauteng alone is north of 100 billion. Again, all of these things are showing institutional decline over years. It's showing a declining household health context over the years, as well as then when you look at particularly then the tax revenue context, even, um, you know, uh, collections from corporate income tax uh, as a contribution to the overall revenue basket has declined from about 18.1% uh, two years ago to about 16.9% right now. That's how much we're able to collect from revenue from from corporates and the extent of the concentration of those earnings as well um we find that 58 percent of the revenue we collect from corporate income tax comes from about uh, roughly 380 to 400 companies who are earning north of 200 uh, million uh, in terms of uh, just, uh, you know taxable net income all of those things Stephen, i think uh, is is really i think a melting pot 
um, for I think uh, for crisis, and I think we certainly uh, I think a little bit shy in really I think highlighting the extent of our exposure at this point in time. I mean, it's all about growing the economy. If you grow the economy, so many of these problems ease, and if you don't grow the economy, uh, then so many of these problems simply get worse, right? And I mean, that's the issue, isn't it? And and they all work together. It's a, a horse and cart. If one thing goes well, something else goes well. Sure. But I mean, Stephen, even that conversation, I think, needs to be had in a contextual way. Um, we've had jobless growth in South Africa um, from 2012 until today. Um, and so it's not in it's not growth for growth's sake um, in the way I see it, but it is around a structural reconstruction of our economy. And this is what we often talk about as structural transformation, where you need to be quite clear around um, the contribution of your primary, secondary, and tertiary sectors into the economy. We're seeing, of course, our tertiary sector services contributing the most uh, now to, to GDP, and that's close to 25%. Yet, of course, when you look at the, the, the structure of our labor force, um, 76% of the people in the labor force are either unskilled or semi-skilled. And so your, the sectors that are contributing the most to the economy are not the sectors that can absorb our labor. And so we really, I think, need to start being a lot more intentional about the structural transformation so that we can have the requisite contribution from uh, each, uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, from primary, uh, secondary and tertiary in a way that is reflective of the kind of labor that we have. I think that will then, of course, improve absorption rates. Uh, it'll improve, um, you know, our household earnings as well. If you look at unemployment in this context, even 76% of the people who are unemployed have been long-term unemployed, which is unemployed for more than a year which really tells you that the economy is struggling uh, to reabsorb uh, people who either weren't in the force or who've been uh, pushed out of the force. And I think those are some of the realities I think we must start thinking about beyond just growth uh, for growth's sake. Zimbali, um, Zimbali, Safisal, thank you. Safisal Skinjana, really appreciate their time. Economist and Managing Director at ESG Analytics. My thanks also to Zimbali Mlube uh, from the Institute of Economic Justice. Uh, Lumkile Mondi, of course, Senior Lecturer at the School of Economics and Business Science at Wits University. And starting us off today, the Chief Economist at the Efficient Group, uh, Darby Root.